Last weekend, actually, uh, Joe and I attended a retreat in the city and um, it was at a place that I'd been in once before and I walked into a room that I'd been in only once before and my immediate impression of that room was that it was smaller than I remember. Who's ever had that experience? Yeah. Okay. So, um, and it impacted me so much that I turned to Joe and I said, the room is smaller. Like, I couldn't believe I verbalised it. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, not, it's common, I think, when we visit a place as a child and then later in life we go and see that place and it, we think, yeah, this is smaller. Um, the question is, why? Why do we feel that? Why does a room seem smaller? Um, the truth of the matter is that it's not. It's still the same size, but it feels different. On Wednesday night, um, I had a restless sleep. It's one of those restless sleeps that I'm sure everybody's had. I had something on my mind and I couldn't get rid of it. <laughs> and I just didn't sleep properly. What was on my mind, probably is not what was on your mind, is, was what I was speaking about today. And uh, particularly trying to um, think through... Actually, what had happened, I was at work at Modra and I had this image in my mind all day about what I felt God was trying to say to us through this series of pictures of God's own heart, and as we, particularly as we look at David's life. And I just couldn't get it out of my mind. It kept me awake. You know, over the last week or so, um, I've read through First and Second Samuel, read through Second Chronicles, I've read some of the Psalms, uh, Psalms? <laughs> Psalms. <clears throat> Psalms to get a picture of you know, David's life. And one of the things that you're impacted when you do it in such a condensed time is actually what a challenging and actually troubled life David actually had. And I'd really encourage you to do that, to actually read his whole life, you know, in one chunk. Um, the other thing that you find is that God is actually interested in every part of his life. He's not interested just in one event, but he's actually interested in all of David's life. <clears throat> um, you know, there's not just a single point he's concerned about. And I, I think uh, that's a really important thing for us to keep in mind. God is actually interested in all of days. In fact, David wrote in Psalm 139, that, uh, which is one of the amazing, insightful psalms about the human life, he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is interested in all the days of our lives. The other thing that impacts you when you do that, there are four things that become uh, fronts that hit his life, that attack his life or press on his life. And these four things we can take away for ourselves as well. Firstly, the world around him was constantly pushing on him, challenging his life, bringing troubles into his life. The second thing was other believers. Other believers. The third thing was his family. And the fourth thing was himself and his own desires. And these four things are things I think we should all keep in mind, particularly when we feel that we're going through a challenging time or that we are having... Um, Troubles. Think about these four fronts. 
Last week, Eleanor introduced David to us by, uh, through these verses, um, that, that he was chosen by God to be a king, to be the king. And so in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, we read this, that as, uh, as um, Samuel the prophet had gone to a family to, to choose one of the sons, He's, uh, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the, his appearance or his height, this is one of his other sons, um, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So now, I want to fast track, and I've got another verse up there, which is uh, 1 Chronicles 28.9. This is at the end of David's life. And he's handing over to his son Solomon. And look what he says. This is David speaking now. The Lord searches every heart. So his life started by being chosen because God looks at a heart. But here David is saying, the Lord searches every heart. And you need, we need to know this. This verse applies to everyone. You know, so often we grab verses out of the Bible and think, this is for me, but often they're just a time and place. They're for someone else. But here, God searches every heart, every thought, every desire. He looks at our whole life. And I find that incredibly challenging. You know, the, I'll go back to this thing that kept me awake. It was this image, and this is what the image looked like. It was a dome, <laughs> or half a sphere, and there was a door at the base of it. And I opened the door, and when I stepped in it, I was just overcome by the space. Have you ever had that experience where you're driving somewhere, you've been on the road for a while, and you turn a corner, and then there's this, yeah, people are shaking their heads. That view or that thing you just didn't expect and it just takes your breath away. An amazing experience. And that's all, the only way I could explain it. I open this door, I'd step in and I'd go, oh. You know, um, I see it also in other things. I see it when uh, Joe, my wife, takes someone else's child, their baby. Has anyone ever had that experience? Actually, I'm sure most of you who have had children have seen Joe just sort of gravitate. And she grabs hold of the child, and it's like time and space stops. Nothing else matters. It's like new dimensions. Joe, Emerson needs to go to work. It's okay. Joe, there's people at home wanting to have lunch. It's okay. Joe, the house is on fire. It's, it's, it's okay. You know, you know, that's what it's like. It's like this whole new dimension opens up for her. It's a place where time and space changes. It's where the room, <clears throat> the room has room for everything in our life. <clears throat> it's where no matter what life throws at you, You've got space for it. I think last week, some of us experienced this. Pete, um, Pete Harrison introduced communion, and he did a very simple introduction. And he asked us 
to put our hands up like this. Now, for some of us, that was pretty confronting because we don't do that here. (laughs) But I spoke to some people afterwards who actually chose to do that and they said as they went like that, tears just rolled down their face. This space, it opens up time and space. It's bigger than what we've ever experienced before. What is it, though, that presses in on that room, that makes it feel smaller? One thought could be it's the circumstances. So this room we went and had a look at, we went to have breakfast. There was only about 15 or so people who were a bit disappointed that they had to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. The previous time we were there, we were at a wedding. And the room was full of people, full of celebration, a bridal party. It was an amazing occasion, decorations. And that's what made that room feel much bigger than it really was. It was a special time, but circumstances. You know, the morning after I had this restless night, I woke up, I opened up my phone and went to my Bible app, which I do every morning, and it has a Bible verse. And this was what the verse was. When hard-pressed, this is David writing in Psalm 118.5, when hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. Standing there, open the door. And then this is what David's experience was as he climbed, cries out to God. This spacious place. It's a place where every thought, every word, every act has room to be. You know, Jesus spoke, I think, in a similar way in Matthew 11, 28, 30, when he said, to him, said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. That's what this space is like. Eleanor uh, shared last week how David, uh, there was three things that were uh, a part of his life that helped us see what the heart of God is like. David trusted God. David loved God. And David pursued God. And we enter, I believe, this space that I'm talking about because we trust God. And we know that we are to trust God because it pleases God. It talks about that in, in, uh, in, in Hebrews. It says, you know, without faith and trust, it's impossible to please God. And so we, we step in that. We know that we step in because we love God. We love God because it says, you know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. We step in there because Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, seek first the kingdom. You know, seek God. That's why we step in there. But when we get in, the space and the rest is just amazing. You know, it's in this place that David found and we can find it's not our capacity to trust, it's not our capacity to love, it's not our ability to seek God that makes us go, whoa. It's something else. It's when we get in this space, we find 
that God is trustworthy. Yeah? It's when we get in this space that we find that God's love is unending. Yeah? It's when we get in this space, as we've read uh, in 1 Chronicles 28.9, that God actually wants to be found. You know, it's not as though we've got to scurry off and dig up things. He wants to be found. In Psalm 145.13, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. Psalm 13.5 says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Again, ask the question, though, what is it that presses in on our lives? The things that press hard on us, that take away our rest, take away this space. You know, it's interesting that the world, as I mentioned, there's four things, actually, that David finds, but the world doesn't say to us, in these times, Pete, you don't trust God enough. Pete, you don't love God enough. Pete, you don't seek God enough. What the world will say to us is, Pete, you can't trust God. He's not trustworthy. What the world will say to us, Pete, God doesn't really love you. What the world will say is, God doesn't want to be found. And I find that really challenging to think about that. To consider that. These are the things that press in on us. You know, Samuel, we'll just have a quick look at his, uh, these four things that Samuel experienced. In 2 Samuel 8, verse 1, it starts off with saying, In the course of time, David defeated. And then it goes on in that chapter to list all the nations he defeated. The Philistines, the Moabites, the Arameans, the Edomites. The world kept pushing in on him. And in Psalm 2, verse 1, David writes this, Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. See how David sees this as the focus is they're going against God, not him. Jesus actually said in John 16.33, he said, I have told you these things, and obviously the things earlier in this chapter, so that you may have peace. In this world, you will know trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we, it shouldn't be a surprise to us to know that the world will press in on this space, on this rest that we should know. Also, challenges from our family or from other believers. David knew this very well. In Second uh, Samuel verse, uh, sorry, chapter 16, 5, we see this character called Shemiel arise and he curses David. He goes... Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. Now, Shemir was from the, the uh, uh, belief that uh, Saul's family should have been still in power. And this is what uh, 
David says, down in verse 11, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite, which is who Shemir was. Leave him alone. Let him curse. And this is amazing. For he, the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to his covenant blessing instead of this curse today. And the, son, he's t- the sons he's talking about are Absalom and Ammon. Ammon did this terrible thing with his sister. This shocking thing. It's hard to read what he did. Um, and brought incredible disgrace on his family and to God. And Absalom tried to take over the kingdom. These were his own flesh and blood. And David knew uh, the troubles that they were bringing, the challenges that they were bringing. In John 13, 21, Jesus said this. After he said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified. Verily, truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. I said to a friend recently, someone who I support, and his words of affirmation concerned me. And I said to him, I told him, mate, you've got to know one day I will let you down. We let each other down. As fellow believers, as family, we will let each other down. And then Jesus went on to talk about in Mark 3 how that when his family heard all about this, they went to take charge of him. They said he's out of his mind. We've got to care for him. This, and then the leaders in the same verses said, came down, the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, he's possessed by Belzezebub. These are people that should have known. Family, other believers. This was David's experience and it can be ours. But the biggest challenge and troubles in David's life came from what he brought on upon himself. His own sin. And this is something that I found very uh, hard to take in. David thought it was a good idea to take a census of all the fighting men throughout the land. He thought it was a good idea. His commanders said, why are you doing this? This is offensive. We can read this in 2 Samuel. And, but he in, says, insists on it. And so they do this audit, the census of all the fighting men. But it really offends God. And so God brings a plague. And because of David's choice to do a census, 70,000 people die in that plague. Wow, that's heavy. (laughs) We'd be all familiar, most of us would be familiar with the story of David's act of adultery with Bathsheba. David doesn't realise the impact of what he's done. And so God sends Nathan the prophet to him. And Nathan tells him a story about a man 
who takes advantage of another man. And then we get to this part of the story where Nathan says, Why therefore did you despise the word of the Lord, doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. I want us to keep in mind, you know, it's easy for us to spend time looking at this life. (laughs) But we all need to know we are only one word, one thought, one action of falling short of the glory of God. We are only ever one thought, one, act, one word, one action, falling short of the glory of God. Billy Graham defines sin as this. A sin is a thought or an action that falls short of God's will. God is perfect, and anything we do that falls short of his perfection is sin. David's sin was that he despised the Lord. And this is a hard thing to get a hold of. His sin was not against the people. It was terribly wrong, the things he did. But his sin is not against the people. If our sin was the thought or the word or the act that we did, when we ask for forgiveness, wouldn't they be erased? Wouldn't time wind back and they'd be gone? But we all know that the consequences stay. That's why at the end of this statement, there's a very big but from Nathan. Because David's life, although he's restored... His household is ruled by the sword, the way he did. It is in calamity. Um, In verse 13, Nathan says to David, or David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin, but you're not going to die. But... (laughs) And there's all these consequences because of what he did. John Piper says this about David, because in Psalm 51, David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. John Piper says, how can David say to God, after sleeping with Uriah's wife and then killing him, against you and you only have I sinned? You see, because sin in the Bible is not wronging another person it's assaulting the glory of God it's rebelling against God sin by its definition is vertical God doesn't pretend these things don't happen as in David's life there's calamity 
there's consequences. And although David's restored, he goes with all the baggage of everything that he's done. (laughs) It's a very sobering sight. But it's important that we know that God forgives and he restores. You know, each Sunday here, we take communion to celebrate the new covenant, that wonderful blessing that we have. In Galatians 6, 1, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, you also may be tempted. So the things that will press in on this space in our life is the world, believers, other believers, family. But importantly, we need to know that our sin, our own lives, is the thing that will draw us away from it, draw us away from knowing that God is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that he is longing to know us, that his love is unending. So a question to finish with. At this point in time in your life, does the room feel small? Or do you feel as though you're in this wonderful space? If it is feeling small, then ask yourself the question, where are the challenges coming from? Where are the troubles? Is it just something that the world is doing, it's pressing in on you? Or is it something that other believers are bringing into your life? Or is it your family? Or is it, and probably the most important one for us to go away with today is, is it our own sin that is doing that? But I want you to know this. God wants to forgive you and forgive us. He wants us to be restored. Restored with him in a loving relationship all the time. He wants us to be in this space. It's not, and it's important to know that it's not our capacity to trust or love or pursue him. It's his faithfulness. It's his trustworthiness. It's his unending love. It's his desire to be known that keeps us in this space, that will will bring us back into restoration. And God knows the space we need. You know, we are either taking steps in or steps away. There's no (laughs) in-between. You know, the first step is, and there may be some here that have never taken that step, is to know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life.